and we're up to the weekly Torah portion of Teruma, um, which has a lot of uh, technical details. God tells Moses all the information about how, about how to construct the tabernacle. We know that in later years when the Jewish people were in the Holy Land, they had, we had the Holy Temple. We had the first one, it got destroyed. We got the second one, it got destroyed. And we're now waiting for the third one, which we'll have when Mashiach, the Messiah, comes. But before that, while still in the desert, the Jewish people had to build a, the tabernacle, which was kind of like a traveling temple. It was a tent in the earlier years. And then once the Jewish people were in, were in the Holy Land, they had to build, uh, they built a, a stone structure around it, but it was still considered a mishkan, still considered a tabernacle, until the times of Solomon when he was king and he actually built the first holy temple. But the tabernacle was the first structure that they built while already in the desert. And God told Moses all the instructions, Moses told all the Jewish people the instructions, and they ended up building it beautifully, and it's all carefully recorded in the Torah. So the question is, what does this have to do with anything we've been discussing in the past? Chronologically speaking, it seems to be funny to have it mentioned over here. We had two weeks ago, we had the giving of the Torah, which, and then last week we had a com couple of laws, 53 laws, do's and don'ts, the laws of uh, what to do if you injure another person, what to do if you're if you're guarding other person's stuff and all those kind of things. And then we said, that is because we want people to realize that the Torah was given to keep down here in this physical world. It's not all about godly spiritual revelations at Mount Sinai. It's about what we practically do in our day-to-day -day life. But now you would expect the Torah to continue with what it started, uh, with the continuation of the story of what happened after the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And we ended off two weeks ago that Moses was going to go back up on the mountain and he's going to study Torah for 40 days and nights with God. Then he's going to come down with the tablets on which the Ten Commandments are going to be inscribed. So what is this commercial break in which we learn all these technical details of the tabernacle? And we're going to continue that next week also. And only the week after that do we continue with... Moses coming down the mountain and we continue the story where we left off. So the question is, why is it, why do we have this Torah portion here? Before we can even start studying the Torah portion, we have to know why it's here. And there's many different opinions about that, but we're going to follow um, Rashi's opinion because that's the, the basic way to study the Torah. We do it with Rashi. And Rashi says this is chronologically out of place. It didn't even happen now. The Torah is not, uh, that's not Rashi, just Rashi's opinion, it's everyone's opinion. The Torah is not a history book, it's not uh, a biography about anyone, it's not, uh, not useful in that way. It's God's wisdom, God's knowledge, and that's why we study it. So from every letter, every word, every order that is in there, there is a lesson we can learn. So what is the lesson we can learn over here? Rashi says it's not chronologically in the right place. But we have to see what's going to happen next. In two weeks from now in the Torah portion, when Moses comes down the mountain, he's going to notice the Jewish people uh, worshiping a homemade gold idol, the sin of the golden calf. 
And then Moses is going to spend a long time first telling the Jewish people, what in the world are you doing? And then trying to tell God, please forgive them. And it's going to take a while for God to forgive them. And then finally on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, God says, fine, I forgive you guys. And the day after that, according to Rashi, is when this whole conversation takes place that God tells Moses, okay, now I forgave the Jewish people. Now I'm, I'm ready to move in with them, so to speak. So therefore, um, build me a home that I can come live with the Jewish people. And that's when all the instructions are given how to build that home. And then Moses passes on all those instructions and then they can actually start building. And it's going to take about half a year before they finally start um, using it as per God's command. But so Rashi says that's why we... We, we, why do we have to first read about these instructions for the tabernacle before they were even given officially? Because God already wants to show in advance, I, I forgive the Jewish people. No, I'm not happy about their sin, but I do forgive them completely. So therefore, before we even start reading about the sin of the golden calf, we already see that God is always willing to forgive us and always willing to move in with us. And then another, before we get into the technical details, there's a few more points about this week's Torah portion. Number one is that this, these Torah portions are very connected to Shabbos, the Sabbath, because there's many, Shabbos is a day of rest, and there's many ways that in which we have to rest. And it doesn't just mean to sleep away the whole day, but there are many do's and don'ts that are connected to Shabbos, and especially the don'ts are all based on whatever was necessary in the construction of the tabernacle. There are 39 um, main categories of work that have to be, uh, that were connected to the construction of the tabernacle, and whatever was necessary for that, that is not something we can do nowadays on Shabbos. So it's not necessarily hard work that is forbidden it is anything that is derived from the work that was done in building the tabernacle so let's say you live in your house and you want to move your couch from one room to the next that is hard work but technically that would be allowed on Shabbos even though you're sweating away that is allowed it's not one of the 39 um, categories of things that we cannot do on Shabbos but then flicking on a light switch that you would say, well, that's not hard work at all. Well, guess what? That is part of uh, we can, something we can derive from the 39 things we, we cannot do on Shabbos. <laughs> and therefore, just flicking on that light switch, switch, which is so easy and so peaceful and so restful, is not allowed. But dragging your couch from left to right and right to left and up and down all the floors, that would be okay. So that is one thing that we have all what we have our, our Shabbos rules based on the construction of the tabernacle, which we're discussing in this week's Torah portion next week. And another key point is that you might think, what do I care that they had to build a building over 3,333 years ago in a desert somewhere between Egypt and Israel? What do I care? What does that have to anything to do with me? But the, the positive commandment that was given in the Torah, in which God says, you have to build me a dwelling place so that I can 
come li- move in with you, the, the precise words of that is, um, you should build for me uh, uh, a holy place. And then God says, and I'll, I'll move in, I'll dwell I'll into them. Now, if you have one building, why are you saying I'll move in them? You should say, I'll move in it. And the sages take from that, that it's not them, it's not it, it's not, God is not talking, I'll dwell in it, just into that one singular structure, but God says, I'm dwelling in each and every one of you. Every single person within themselves can make a dwelling place for God. And so there are so many objects and different things that we are going to be learning about that had to be part of the of the tabernacle and each and every one of us can make that within our own homes and within ourselves um, now we do keep it short and summarized so we can't go into all the deeper meanings behind every object we're going to be discussing but we can try to give out some pointers by some of them so here in short uh well i just the list of things that god tells moses of materials building materials that are going to be needed to, that the Jewish people need to donate. And you can easily say this was the most most successful fundraising campaign in history because as soon as Moses starts telling the people that you know this is the stuff we're going to need, everybody gave so excitedly, so eagerly that everything was given in, in uh, very quickly. So the different materials that were needed were gold and silver and copper and wools colored purple, red and blue linen, goat's hair, skins of rams colored red, multicolored skins of the tachash, which we'll talk about soon, because you're going to say tachash, what in the world is that? Wood, oil, and spices, jewels like diamonds, and sapphires, and others. So here we have to, those are the materials that we're going to be needing to build the different things in the tabernacle. So let's get started on the uh, first, the first thing that is mentioned in the Torah, which is the Arain, also called the Ark. And the Ark would stand in the Holy of Holies. The, the tabernacle was divided into basically one big courtyard, and then there was a tent in there. And that tent, we were going to see about the walls and the coverings and the curtains and all that. But that big tent was also divided into two. The back part, was the Holy of Holiest, or if, I don't know, Kodesh HaKadoshim in Hebrew. My English might be a little off, but Kodesh HaKadoshim in the Hebrew. And in that Kodesh HaKadoshim, the holiest place was the Arain, the Ark. And that Ark contained the, uh, the tablets and with the, with the Ten Commandments. Um, so there were specific instructions about how to make the Arain, how to make that ark. So it was a, a triple box. So the inner box was a gold box. The, then around that was a wooden box. And around that was another gold box. And that gold box had kind of like a gold rim that kind of looked like a crown. And the, the tablets were put in the inner wooden box, uh, in the inner gold box. So we have gold, wood, gold. And here we have like a, a practical lesson that, I mean, you could ask, why does the inside have to be gold? That the outside has to be gold, it has to look nice and good, yes. 
But what about the inside? Who cares? Nobody sees it. Well, that's by a person too. You can have a person who outwardly looks very good and religious and nice and all that, but inward, inwardly, they're just completely rotten. And the lesson is to strive to be pure gold, not just from the outside, not just where others can see, but also on the inside. Uh, that's just one lesson. Now, on top of the of the orin, of the ark, there was a gold cover on top of which were two uh, uh, angels, so to speak. There was figures with children's faces and wings. And when God was happy with the Jewish people, they were facing towards each other, embracing each other. And when God was not too happy, they were facing the other way. Um, and there were golden rings on the corner of the outside of the box and through which were poles so that they were able to carry it around as necessary. So that was object number one, the ark, the orin. Then we have, let's see, the next one. Oh, we have the shulchan with the lechem aponim, the table with the showbreads. So in the tabernacle and later the holy temples, they would bake certain breads, 12 breads with a, a special recipe. And we don't, do not necessarily know the recipe. And there were special oven metal pans in which they were baked. They had a unique shape. And they were actually kosher for Passover, fun fact. Um, and those 12 breads, one bread for each tribe, as you can imagine, um, were then from their baking pans put onto a gold pan and then brought to the special table. Uh, that table was, well, a table uh, made from wood covered in gold. Then the rim of the table had also this crown-like design, like we mentioned before by the ark. And then there were poles sticking up high with half pipes to form shelves so that there were six stacks of showbreads I mean two, sorry two stacks of six of showbreads on the on the shulchan on that table so two would two of the breads would rest on the table itself and then stacked up higher resting on half pipes made from gold were um, were the other showbreads and every week on and oh sorry in between those two stacks were two spoons filled with lavina uh, I think it's called frankincense, certain spice. And then every Shabbos, when a new group of priests, kaihanim, would come in to do their service, they would remove the old breads and put on the new breads. The old breads would get divided between all the priests doing service that day. And but it was a miracle, but the bread would always stay fresh as if it had just come freshly out of the oven instead of a week before. And just a small bite was satisfying enough for each priest as if he had eaten a whole entire meal. And the frankincense, those uh, the golden spoons with lavina, the frankincense, would get burnt on the, on the altar and it would make the whole place smell uh, delicious. Um, the shulch on the table also had rings on the side through which they can put poles to uh, 
carry it around because the tabernacle in the desert was a, a traveling structure. So that is the next uh, thing. Then we have the menorah. Now the menorah from the, temp from the tabernacle and later the temple is not the one that we light every Hanukkah. The one we light on Hanukkah, the holiday of Hanukkah, has eight lights plus the ninth one. But that is to commemorate the eight days of the miracle that took place at the time of the Hanukkah story. But the menorah in the tabernacle had seven branches. And it was actually, it was made from pure gold. And God showed Moses exactly how it has to be made. But he said it has to be made from one piece of gold. And Moses said, uh, uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to make that. Way too, too difficult. So eventually God said, throw a piece of gold into the fire. A block of gold in the fire. And it came out exactly the way God wanted it to be. Um, so the menorah had seven branches. Um, diagonal, so there was uh, one in the middle and then three on each side coming out from that. Um, the, the way it had to be lit was with pure olive oil from the first, the first drops of olive oil when they would crush the, the top best olives from the, the higher part of the olive tree. Um, and there were also beautiful decorations. The menorah was made out of beautiful, um, I mean, the thing itself was six feet high. So that's really quite impressive. And there were three kinds of decorations on it. One was called the Gvi'im. Those were shaped like cups. And there were 22 of them on the menorah. 22 is corresponding to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Then there were the Kaftorim. Those were the ball-shaped decorations. There were 11 of those. And then the Parachim. You might know in the Hebrew, Perach is a flower. So these were rose petal-shaped flowers, and there were nine of those. And each of those three types of decorations, the, the cup-like, the ball-like, and the flower-like, each of those had their own decorations, almond-shaped gold decorations on them. And I'm going to try to upload uh, pictures on the website later so you can get a better idea of what we're talking about. I really wanted to upload pictures from a certain book that has it beautifully, but when I contacted the, the copyright holders of that book, they were unable to give permission. So I'm going to have to try to look for other pictures and then post them. So it's going to be easier to understand what I'm talking about. So those were just some of the objects in the tabernacle. And then we also have to learn about the walls. So the Mishkan walls, the tabernacle walls, were made out of beams of wood. And you're going to say, what in the world, how did they have wood in the desert? And that's interesting. Jacob, before he went down to Egypt, he cut down some uh, trees, certain tr uh, trees, which he brought with him to um, to, the, to Egypt and he planted them over there and he told his descendants guys there's gonna come a time when you're gonna leave Egypt God is gonna take you out and you're going to have to build a, a building for God a home for God so you're going to be bringing along this wood and that is you could imagine what, what kind of hope this gave to the Jewish people when they were suffering in Egypt and they were walk, would walk past those trees and they knew they, these were planted by our forefather Jacob and this is part of the promise that we're going to come out of here and we're going to be God's nation. It's going to be good for us. That must have given them a lot of hope. So they took that wood with them 
and they put it to good use now when they had to make all these things for the tabernacle. So the everybody had to give. I mean, everybody could donate whatever they want, but then also everybody had to give half a shekel. And those silver pieces of, of their coins were used to make silver foot pieces called adonim for the beams that they would use for the walls. So they had the beams made from wood. They were then covered in gold. And each beam had two pegs sticking out on the bottom, kind of, and which would stick into the silver foot pieces. So when they were ready to build, set up the tabernacle, they would set out first, um, uh, I think 40, um, yeah, 40 silver foot pieces in which they would then stick 20, like Lego, 20 gold covered wooden beams um, for one wall. Then the opposite wall, the same thing. So now you have two long walls and then they would block it off on one side with um, a smaller wall which had eight beams and 16 foot pieces and that was the structure of the building and then the other side was op left open and now we're going to put different beams and make a door which we'll talk about later. So once the walls were standing, the beams in the silver foot sockets then there were also, there were some like five feet from the top and five feet from the bottom, there were like gold half pipes on the outside of the, of the walls. And when everybody, everything was assembled, assembled together, there was now space for under those uh, half gold pipes to um, make uh, long wooden poles to, uh, as support beams to hold up the walls a little bit better. And then on the inside of all the beams, there was a hole so that another pole would be able to go in through the inside. Now here was another one of those miracles. You take a wooden pole and you stick it through walls, that's not a problem. If those walls then start bending and turning corners, that pole is obviously not going to start bending and turning corners if it's a straight wooden pole. Well, the wooden pole by the, of the Mishkan, the tabernacle walls, was a miraculous one that they were able to stick in all the way, go around the corner and all the way back up front. Um, but when it was out of the tabernacle, it was a regular st straight pole. That's another one of those miracles. Uh, then we have the... Um, the entrance. Remember, we had we set up three walls, but now we also need one wall for the entrance part. So that was not a full wall. It was... Um, it, it was a, a few wooden beams, five wooden beams that were covered in gold and they were in foot sockets, but not silver ones, but copper ones. And the beams were covered with a gold cord, very pretty. And then there was a beautiful curtain hanging over them and that was the front entrance. And then within that tent building, we said the back part of it was going to be the Kaidash HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies. So that also had to be blocked off. So that was blocked off. There were some a few more beams with, again, silver foot uh, pieces. And then there was another curtain hanging over there. Now, what? so in that back 
room, Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, we said that contained the Ark, the Orain. Then, in front of that, that area was called the Kodesh, which is the, the holy, a holy place. And that also had a few objects. It had the menorah, which we already discussed. It had the, the shulchan, the table with the lechem upon him, the showbread. And it also had the golden mizbeach, which we did not learn about yet. I think that's coming up in next week's Torah portion. But those were placed in the, in the Kodesh, in the room bef- uh, in, before the holy of holies. So, okay, we have the walls. We know the inner rooms. There are two rooms. We know the, some of the objects that are in there. Now, let's talk about the coverings of the tent. So, there are actually three coverings. The bottom one was hanging over the top. So, if you were inside and looked up at the ceiling, you saw that one. That was hanging over the top and hanging over the sides, covering the, the walls. So, that was made of... Uh, multicolored cloth and um, the, uh, there were 10 strips of cloth then five, they were sewed up five together and five together and those were connected with 50 um, gold hooks and loops to make it uh, together kind of like a like a but like buttoning a shirt with golden hooks instead of uh, regular buttons. Um, anyways, so that was uh, the deeper meaning behind that is that it resembles the tablets, which had five commandments on one side and five commandments on the other. Um, then there was the middle cover. So we had one cover hanging over the tabernacle. Then it was a middle cover that contained uh, 11 long strips of goat here, five were sewn together and six were sewn together and that was connected with 50 copper hooks and that was also that was hanging on top of that first layer and hanging over the sides of the walls and <clears throat> and that was made from goat here and then on top of that was a very unique one a cover that was just on the top, not hanging over the walls on the side, and that was made from the skin of the tachash, and half was from red-dyed ram skins. Now, what is the tachash? You're not going to find one. The tachash was a unique colored um, animal. So it had one horn in the front, and it had a very colorful skin, and it was only around then in the desert for the Jewish people to be able to make use of its skin. And we do not have it ever since then. Then we learn about the copper mizbeach, the copper altar, that was outside of this whole tent structure. It was a uh, inside a tent, tent structure. We're going to learn about the golden altar. But outside of it, in the courtyard in front of the tent building, um, was the copper altar, and that was used for most of the sacrifices which we still need to start learning about in a couple of weeks but there are daily sacrifices in the morning in the afternoon and on special days there's an additional one um, nowadays if we can't bring sacrifices we say our prayers for those we say the morning prayers we say the afternoon prayers on special days we add an additional prayer there's also evening prayers anyways uh, when on this altar there were different different miracles that were going to happen because um, it was out in the open, right? So you would think it's uh, depending on the weather, 
things would happen to it because there's no cover over the courtyard. There is a cover over the tent structure where the other things are, but there's no cover over the courtyard. So, um, so even though it was an altar and they were burning sacrifices, no matter how windy it was, uh, miracle number one, the smoke would always rise up in a straight column up. Miracle number two is that no matter how hard it rained, that fire stayed lit. And even though it was made of wood with a thin layer of copper on top, it still had never caught fire. So it was a, um, it was made from wood, as we said, with a thin layer of, of copper on top. It stood on a square base. Um, then it was a big hollow, um, I guess you can call it box, but like, <coughs> not a box, it was 20 feet high. And um, the corners, it had some, uh, horns um, and uh, it was filled with earth and on top of that earth they would uh, burn the fires and bring the sacrifices and it was a huge ramp leading like that you can climb up I mean walk up to get to the top to go on there and burn the sacrifices that was limited for, exclusively reserved for priests and then we learn about the the courtyard, called the Chatzer, which had a whole bunch of curtains around it. Um, even though it wasn't just reserved for priests, other people could also come in there, but people that were impure could not come in that area, which is an all other topic of its own. But So we have that courtyard, and that's where the big copper, uh, copper altar stood. And... It, the courtyard also uh, consisted of beams and, and you know, multicolored curtains and a whole bunch of things like that. And that was pretty much the Torah portion, very technical, with a lot of uh, structures being discussed. And the Haftor for Teruma is pretty straightforward because it comes from the book of Kings. It starts in chapter 5 verse 26 and then goes on to chapter 6 verse 13 and it describes the beginning of the construction of the first temple so obviously in the Torah portion we're busy discussing the construction of the tabernacle or the instructions for the construction wow that? try to say that 10 times fast so the Haftorah is connected with the constructions of the First temple, which were made, was, was built by King Solomon, the son of King David, many years later.